Hello, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us once again for During Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Kitts. Well, let's get into it with a prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your wonderful grace and love. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us this guidance and the ability and the platform to be able to talk to people and to share your word with them. And maybe it will bless somebody today. If it does, Lord, bless them hearty. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Give us this word. Give us the Holy Spirit to help us, guide us, and to teach us, and to help us get this message out to the ones that need it. In your blessed holy name we beg. Amen. Crucifixion Practices Although the Romans did not in, invent crucifixion, they perfected it as far as a form of torture and capital punishment that was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. It was one of the most disgraceful and cruel methods for execution, and usually as it was only reserved for slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, and the vilest of criminals. Roman law usually protected the Roman citizens from crucifixion, except perhaps for the case of a desertion by a soldier. The cross was characterized by an upright post and a horizontal crossbar, and it had several different variations. It was customary for the condemned man to carry his own cross from the flogging post to the side of the crucifixion outside the city walls. He was usually naked unless it was prohibited by local customs. This adds to the disgrace and humiliation that one had to go through. Since the weight of the entire cross was probably over 300 pounds, only the crossbar had to be carried. The crossbar weighed anywhere between 75 to 125 pounds and was placed across the nape of the person's neck, balanced along both shoulders, usually the outstretched arms when they're tied to the crossbar. The the professional of the site of crucifixion was led by the complete Roman military guard, headed by a centurion. One of the soldiers carried a sign in which the condemned man name and crime was displayed. Later, the sign would be attached to the top of that cross, and the Roman guard would not leave the victim until they were sure that they were dead. Outside the city wall was a permanent location on the heavy upright wooden post in which the crossbar would be secure. To prolong the crucifixion process, the horizontal wood block or plank serving as a cruel seat, often was attached midway down the post. At the site of the execution, by law, the victim was given a bitter drink of wine mixed with myrrh, which was a mild pain reliever. The criminal was then thrown on the ground on his back with his arms outstretched along the crossbar. The hands would be nailed or tied to the crossbar. By nailing, apparently it was preferred by the Romans. The nails were tapered iron spikes approximately five to seven inches long with a square staff three-eighths inch across. The nails commonly were driven through the wrist rather than the palms. After both arms were fixed to the crossbar, the crossbar and the victim together were lifted onto the post. Next, the feet were fixed to the cross either by nailing or by rope.
Nailing was preferred by the Roman practice. Although the feet could be fixed onto the sides of the post or in the wooden footrest, they were usually nailed directly in front of the post. To accomplish this, the flexon of the, the knees may have been quite prominent and the bent knee may have rotated outward. When the nailing was complete, the sign was attached to the cross by the nails or cords just above the victim's head. Soldiers and civilian crowds often taunted and jeered at the condemned man, and the soldiers customarily divided up his cloak amongst themselves. The length of survival generally ranged from three or four hours to three to four days, appearing to have been inversely related to the severity of the flogging and scourging. However, if it was the scourging that had been relatively mild, the Roman soldiers could hasten the death by breaking the legs below the knees. Not uncommonly, insects would light up upon and burrow into the wounds or into the eyes, ears, and nose, anything that was open of the dying and helpless victim. And the birds of prey would tear at these sites as well. Moreover, it was customary to leave the corpse on the cross to be devoured by the predatory animals. However, by Roman law, the family of the condemned could take the body for burial after obtaining permission from the Roman judge. Since no one was intended to survive crucifixion, the body was not released to the family until the soldiers were sure that the victim was dead. By custom, one of the Roman guards would pierce the body with a sword or a lance. Traditionally, this had been considered a spear wound to the heart through the right side of the chest a fatal wound probably taught to most of the Roman soldiers. Moreover, the standard infantry spear, which was five to six feet long, could easily reach the chest of a man crucified in the customary low cross. Now we have some medical aspects of the crucifixion, some things that we've found out over the time. With the knowledge of the autonomy, and ancient crucifixion practices, one may reconstruct the probable medical aspects of this form of slow execution. Each wound apparently was extended to produce intense agony and the contribution to death were numerous. The scourging prior to the crucifixion served to weaken the condemned man. If blood loss was considerable to produce conditions leading to the severe dropping of blood pressure, fainting, and even organ failure. When the victim was thrown to the ground on his back in preparation for the, the nailing of the hands or tying of the hands, his scourged wounds most likely would become torn open again and contaminated with dirt and sand. Furthermore, with each respiration, the painful scourging wounds would be scraped against the rough wood of the post. As a result, blood loss from the back probably would continue throughout the crucifixion ordeal. It has been shown that a dense fibrous tissue connected with bones together and the bones of the wrist can support the weight of the body hanging from them, but not the palms. Another probable for the placement of the spikes could be between the row of the carpal bones nearest the radius or through the strongest fibrous band tissue that covers the carpal 
which forms a tunnel for the various fibrous bands connected to the eight corporal bones. The nail driven in this location will crush or severely and rather hurt the medial nerve. This nerve provides sensation and movement, particularly to the second and third finger. Damage to the medial nerve results in a contractual and a claw-like deformation of the hand. The damaged nerve will also produce excruciating hiry pain in both arms. It was likely that the deep perineural nerve extended from the front of the ankles and the branch of the medial and lateral plantar nerves would have been injured during the nail driven through the feet. Although scourging may have resulted in considerable blood loss, crucifixion per se was a relatively bloodless procedure. Since there are no major arteries, other than perhaps a deep plantar arch, confluence of arteries in the foot passing through the favorite automatic site of transfiguration. The cruel effects of the crucifixion beyond the excruciating pain was the marked influence with normal respiration, particularly exhalation. The weight of the body pulling down on the outstretched arms and shoulders would tend to fix the chest muscles used for breathing in an inhalation state, thereby hindering the passive exhalation. According to exhalation, would require both the abdominal muscles rather than the chest muscles to breathe would be shallow. It was likely this form of respiration would not suffice in the high level of carbon dioxide and blood in the bloodstream that would soon result. The onset of muscle cramps uh, due to fatigue and high levels of carbon dioxide in the blood would hinder respiration even further. Adequate exhalation required lifting the body by pushing up on the feet and by flexing the elbows and pulling the shoulders inward. However, this maneuver would place the entire weight of the body on the bones of the feet and would produce searing pain. Furthermore, flexation or bending at the elbows would cause the rotation of the wrist about the iron nails and cause a fiery pain along the damaged medial nerves. The lifting of the body would also painfully scrape and scorch back against the rough wood post. Muscle cramps and loss of feeling in both of the outstretched and uplifted arms would add to the discomfort. As a result, each respiration effort would become agonizing and tiring, further producing oxygen levels in the blood and even eventually to asphyxiation. The definition of asphyxiation, the lack of oxygen or excess of carbon dioxide in the body that can result in unconsciousness and often death, and is usually caused by the interruption of breathing or inadequate oxygen supply. The actual cause of death by crucifixion was multifactorial and varied somewhat for each case, but the two most prominent causes probably were the shock from inadequate perfusion of crucial organs due to blood loss and inadequate oxygen levels in the blood due to the inability to breathe properly. Other possible contributing factors include dehydration, stress-induced arrhythmic of the heart, uh, congested heart failure with rapid accumulation of blood fluid around the heart and the lungs. Death by crucifixion was, in all sense of the word, excruciating, and that's why they wanted it. Well, thank you for looking at crucifixion practices and, and what our Lord went through. We'll close in a prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you took all of our sins, not only on the cross by this cruel and, and mean 
way of killing someone. You did that as an example of going through whatever we face. You've been through it. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we lift you up, and we bless the name of God. Amen. I want to take a minute to talk to you about Buzzsprout. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new market or a channel, may I suggest that you share your thoughts and your ideas with the world. And it's just so fun to have a talk show. Podcasting is very easy, inexpensive, and a fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many more. Within minutes of finishing each recording, Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. And a team that they have at Buzzsprout is passionate in helping you succeed. They want you to succeed. Join with over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Let's go ahead and create something together. God bless you.